Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from the great state of Maryland, my old state, Dennis O'Connor on the Law Enforcement Show. Dennis, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure having you here. Dennis, by the way, is a retired Wilmington, Delaware police sergeant, and he is currently involved with a group called Government Training Institute, doing training for law enforcement officers, SWAT, advanced stuff, uh, stuff I never got to do in my police days. And to be honest with you, I don't know the first thing about SWAT and all these tactics that you guys do. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Uh, it's an ever-changing world that we live in when it comes to tactics. Uh, what's good uh, for this month may not be good for next month, uh, but it's something we try to keep up on uh, when we're doing things. Tactics are always being uh, designed, evaluated. Uh, the only thing that I would ever ask any agency out there to do if you decide to take on any tactic to make sure it was vetted. Who designed it, where it was designed, the why, why it was designed, and if possible, where was it used and where was it used successful. The reality is a lot of what you guys are doing and teaching and training in law enforcement today it comes from lessons, hard lessons learned in the past. We've talked about the North Hollywood Bank shootout, We've talked about the Austin, Texas Bell Tower sniper with a bolt action rifle. And there are countless incidents throughout American history that have caused us to change and evolve our tactics. And a big one is the shooting at Parkland, Florida at the high school. That things have changed. What worked 20 years ago, what was taught as accepted procedure when I was a rookie or when I was even retiring is no longer applies. And what was being taught two years ago may not apply now. Uh, That's correct. Uh, One of the biggest things that uh, when it comes to any kind of tactics that we use in law enforcement, you know, I'm kind of dating myself, you know, going back, I was in the military and back in the early 1980s, I came into law enforcement in the 80s. 
law enforcement was the, you know, we were the tip of the spear when it came to tactics. We were constantly uh, looking at things. We were constantly um, evaluating things. We were constantly trying new things. It wasn't until 9-11 happened um, and the military uh, went into uh, overseas into, in the, into the combat arena because some of the tactics that they used back then were the same tactics that we used, uh, that they started looking at the uh, tactics that they were taught and found out they weren't working. And um, so they went back to the drawing board. They started coming up with newer tactics uh, to use in a combat environment, environment overseas. And like everything comes full circle, a lot of guys started getting out of the military. They started coming into into law enforcement. They started starting up their own uh, law, law enforcement training businesses, and they started using new tactics, or they started teaching new tactics to law enforcement and things like that. It was just um, it's real interesting how it just it became full circle for us. It has changed quite a bit. And when you say military, I always say this, and people love to laugh because it makes me sound really old and I guess I am now but I started in 1980 and the the guys when I say guys the the men who trained me I worked with a lot of great guys men and women but the ones who trained me were Vietnam combat veterans a lot of them right. and we also had some commanders that were Korean war veterans and these these men were phenomenal at policing and women too, because while they may not have been in combat roles back then, they took a lot of that experience and they learned how to apply it to policing. What we call community policing nowadays was standard policing when I was a police. That's that's right, all we knew. Right. And, and these men were really, really good at teaching you the basics. And the first thing they taught us always, it didn't matter what sidearm we were issued, which by the way, I'm old revolver cop. Uh, it was the, the best weapon you're given is your mind and you use your brain first and foremost and um i remember clearly one of the first things i learned as a rookie police was never go to the gun first because when you go to that you can't it's hard to back down what do you go to from there right those listening who are civilians and say well our police nowadays are over militarized they have too much military style equipment there's a reason for that what would be your response to that well, I don't think we're, we're like I said before in the earlier shows on, you know, we're quasi-military. Uh, we do have law enforcement has a military background. And if you, if you think about it, you put this in perspective, law enforcement is boots on the ground every day, 365 days a year, every year. I mean, they're they're out there day in and day out and handling things. So we're not over-militarized. Uh, the, the, the equipment that we're issued, we need. All right. Well, you know, we deal with a bunch of bad people. The firearm in itself is just, it's, you know, you're right. Uh, it's, it comes down to, I was, like I said, I dated myself also. You know, I was on the 38 when I first came into law enforcement. It wasn't until 10 years later that, you know, we got our first 9 millimeter handgun. The important part about anything in policing or anything that we deal with anybody is your thought process. you got to be able to think. And the thought process comes in from a lot of different directions. You know, how do we select people that can think properly and act properly? One of my biggest uh, things that, that I always talk about, and this is kind of getting off subject a little bit, is about physical fitness. In this job, if you're not physically fit, uh, both cardiovascular-wise and strength-wise, you'll never be able to perform in this job. You won't be able to have that thought process. You won't be able to have a clearer mind. You won't be able to do the things you need to do. 
of course, we always want to, you know, try to talk ourselves out of the situation. But unfortunately, in, in this day and age, that doesn't always work. But when we do have to go to the firearm, we have to be able to use that weapon efficiently. And the main reason for having the weapon is for self-protection. Here's one thing that's a bone contention for me. For years, LAPD, television, we always sat on the side of the cars, protect and serve. That was their, their logo, their slogan. Now there's a mindset across America that that's what all of us were supposed to be doing. What we were always taught was I was to protect myself first, then my side partners, then the civilian. And it wasn't, we weren't issued a sidearm to go kill people. We weren't issued a sidearm to shoot people. We are issued it as a last resort to protect our own lives. And that was first and foremost. Well, you know, I'm going to kind of agree with it. Things have kind of changed a little bit. We're not out there looking to shoot anybody. Uh, unfortunately, no. you know, we have we have to put ourselves in a position to, you know, protect you know, and the priorities of, of, of life for law enforcement is, you know, uh, innocence are first. Uh, we have to be able to put ourselves, um, you know, we're issued body armor. We've got to put ourselves in the uh, in the front of the fight, uh, put ourselves in a position where, you know, deadly force is a necessary means in some instances to protect other people. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. We're talking with Dennis O'Connor, and we're talking about the advances, the changes in technology and tactics. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We all know that law enforcement, first responders, and military have dangerous jobs. They see and experience traumas that most can't even imagine. And all too often, that takes a toll leading to substance abuse, PTSD, and co-occurring mental health disorders. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to helping protect those who protect. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program, offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Back to our conversation with Dennis O'Connor on the Law Enforcement Day Show. He is involved. What's your official position at uh, GTI? Well, uh, I used to be the director of training for the company. Uh, I took a step back about six months ago. Um, and I, more like a law enforcement late liaison type gotcha. of person, but I also still teach. Get more details at our website, gtitraining.org. That's gtitraining.org. Before we end the break, Dennis, we're talking about changes. Uh, I remember... And I, I think a lot of this is going to wind up being a walk down memory lane, and, and I apologize in advance 
because that was not my intention. There were aspects of policing that we were taught early on. The, the standard operating procedure was, let's say you had a barricade, an armed barricade situation and a possible hostages, that we'd secure this perimeter as much as possible, then call, call for our SWAT or QRT team, if at all possible. That has changed. That changed, if I'm correct, in a profound way with the high school shooting in Parkland, Florida, where some of the old school law enforcement people waited for other people to come and lots of lives were lost. Is Am I correct that this is a change in our, our thinking? You're absolutely right. You know, one of the biggest things... Um and, you know, I've been in the training arena with law enforcement since 2006 after I retired from the police department. Uh, one of the biggest things that I've noticed in law enforcement now is um, I don't want to say we're expendable. Um, that's not the word I want to use because that's a word that we use a lot in the military. Uh, we're not expendable as police officers. But the mindset has changed to the point where, you know, we have to go into the fight now. You have to... You have to you have to respond accordingly to save lives. Uh, when I first became a policeman, active shooters, um, and I know we have a history of them, but it wasn't something that we talked about. Uh, it's not something that I ever remember happened until later on in my career. But the mindset has is now is you know you're equipped. I mean, you have uh, body armor, you have you know your weapons, you have your your equipment that you use. Your job now is to go into the fight to get in there to save lives. The active shooter, you know, Columbine was a perfect example, and we talked about that before. Police officers did nothing wrong. Um, they did exactly what their protocol asked them to do, is wait for a tactical team response. That was a big um, failure at that point uh, because any response would have been better than no response. Absolutely. Um, and that's the day and age we live in and now. The problem is our selection process. Not everybody that wants to become a police officer should become a police officer. It's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's just not in their DNA uh, for this job. Our selection process needs to be a little bit more well-rounded, and, uh, a little bit more thought put into it, a little bit more looking into each other, uh, people's backgrounds. And even in the selection process, trying to determine who has the quality of thought process, who has the quality of the vigilance to go into a, a situation that's extremely dangerous. You know, I don't know how to really put it, but we need a better selection process than what we have when we're selecting police officers these days. And I think in a lot of ways, if we did that, we would probably have less police officers going out there and making the ultimate mistakes of letting their anger get a hold of them, letting their, uh, making the, you know, the verbalization that goes on now between police officers and people, understanding, you know, people better. I don't know. I just think there's, there should be a better selection process when it comes to law enforcement. And yet I hear from so many agencies, the vast majority of them across the United States, that they have a, a massive recruiting problem. And I can only go to my old agency, the one I retired from in Baltimore. Let's say you graduate 50 people from a class and they'll lose 70 to retirement or to other agencies. They cannot keep track and they cannot keep pace and they are, what I've seen reports, about 500 short. They say 300, but 300 would be 10% of their agency, which is still a huge number. 
Right, right, and, and that's and that's a that's a one big problem in law enforcement that, that we have is trying to you know it's and I, and I hate to say this, um, it doesn't pay a lot. No, it doesn't, it doesn't pay, a lot, pay a lot, and it's it's the same challenge as whether it be L.A., whether it be uh, departments in Texas. I've heard from Canadians they're going through this as well. There's w- only a handful of agencies I've heard where they don't have this problem, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, one of them is Buffalo, New York. Uh, my daughter took the test for Buffalo, New York Police Department, and she said, I think there was maybe 20 openings, 30 openings, protected openings, and there was 2,300 people taking the test. At, they did like at the city hall or the civic center. There's so many applicants, and it's the exact opposite everywhere else. It, it is. It is. Uh, you know, I, I remember going through a, a, a training with police department. I don't recall what it was, and I remember this instructor. He's a civilian instructor. Uh, stood up in front of us and uh, looked at us all in the eye and told us we were nothing but blue collar workers. When you look at this, is a profession. This is a you know uh, a profession. It requires a lot of uh, education. It requires a certain individual. It requires a certain skill set. Uh, it requires a whole a whole lot of things. You know, I, I, when I came went on the police department, I, I was selected to come on this agency based because I came out of the military. Right. I did not have a college education. Uh, I didn't have anything like that. But that's all changed nowadays. But you know, these kids going out and get college educations, they don't want to work for you know a minimal salary and go out there and put your life on the line at the same time and we have stories after stories after stories we have so many agencies across the united states smaller agencies there's a news report now a a gentleman who i didn't show a while ago he's a swat sergeant he was shot with a 308 rifle twice he's permanently disabled and this agency really offers no benefits and he's not being retired He's not given a light duty position. He's being terminated because he can no longer physically able to do the job. And he's got 15 years on the job. And so if you have someone that comes out of college, or let's say they, they've got both ends, they've got military experience, they come out, of, they got a college degree, and they're looking at departments and say, hmm, you treat me like expendable, I, I'm going to make you optional. I'm not coming there. And, and, and that's that's true. I mean, you know, we look at our, you know, our military veterans, uh, a lot of guys, are coming back, you know, they're, uh, they have disabilities, both physical and mental disabilities. Um, I know it's tough for them to get through the system sometimes, um, but I think in, in a lot of aspects, you know, they're, they're fighting for their disabilities, they're fighting to, you know, get the things that they need. But some of my good friends right now, I know like they're 100% disabled from the military for various reasons. And law enforcement, it's, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, City Hall is going to fight trying to pay you anything for a disability that, you know, that, that happened to you on the job, whether it be a mental or physical one, um, they're, they're, they're not going to want to put the money, long-term money out for anything like that. You know, you're on the job three or four years and, you know, you get shot on the job, you know, they don't want to be, they don't want to be putting out the, the money that's going to sustain you for the rest of your life because you, you know, you were doing your job. It just doesn't work that way. And a lot of it does come down to money. We are talking with Dennis O'Connor, retired Wilmington, Delaware police sergeant, also a police law enforcement liaison, I should say, for GTI training. That's gtitraining.org. This is Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. 
These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. Turner conversation with Dennis O'Connor, retired police sergeant from Wilmington, Delaware Police Department, and also law enforcement liaison for GTI training, government training institute, gtitraining.org. Dennis, one of the things that I don't like watching American television about police work anymore, and part of the reason why is, number one, they, they portray the characters in the same stereotypical way. They really don't do a good job of portraying police the way they really are. There were a diverse group of people, but things like tactics. And uh, here's two stories I'll I'll give you. One is they're in love with this idea of when an officer's armed with a semi-automatic weapon, handgun, they always have to cock it and pull the slide back and cock it first. And I'm screening the television going, who's running around here with with an unarmed, uh, with an unloaded weapon? And it's, it's for effect. People don't realize that's not reality. And the other one, and I'm sure this has happened to you. I remember it happening to me. Like these garden terrace type apartments going up to do a raid. And there's like four of us in uniform. And you've got your, your sidearm out. And you look behind you and there's some kid out of the academy, fairly new. And he's got their handgun out and it's pointed right at your back. And you're screaming, get that thing down. <laughs> uh, and you would think that'd be basic. It is basic. But it reflects on... The economics that's involved with training, training our officers, we hear all the time, friendly fire, which I take great exception to, an officer being shot by another officer, and we think, rightfully so, as civilians, while they did something wrong, they're negligent, fire that officer, but we don't realize oftentimes is they're not given their proper training, and they're not getting their proper training because of financial reasons. Well, one of the biggest things, you know, as one of my pet peeves is, uh, like I said, I've been training since 2006, and I've been around the country, and I've seen officers, and, you know, on, I've been on the range, I can't tell you how many times, but uh, countless, you know, it's a reflection of their, their training that they received through their department, right. and it's poor. It's uh, inadequate. The CEOs of police departments, your chiefs, your sheriffs, um, I- I'm sorry, if the biggest liability that any agency has when it comes to uh, anything is your firearms. These officers are out there with, uh, you know, they're, they're given a gun. Uh, you're, you take it home with you. You're told to bring it to work with you. You're told to load it. Uh, you're, told, you're, you're, you're told that if you need to use it, use it. 
you go through, I don't know, maybe 40 hours plus training on this gun, and and we're worried about liability, and agencies are worried about liability. That is your biggest liability. And if you don't prepare for it, it's going to cost you in the long run. Uh, I've been to, I've trained officers, and I ask them, hey, how many times you go on the range? So I go on uh, once, uh, once a month, or I go on uh, once a quarter, or I go on, I've heard, up once every two years, and I'm given 50 rounds to qualify. Uh, that's an impossibility. That's an impossibility to master that weapon and be proficient with it with that a little bit of time. Agencies, if they want to control their liability, they've got to invest time, they've got to invest money, and they've definitely got to come up with a realistic range drills to prepare these officers in deadly force encounters, and it's not being done. It's, it's not. not being done anywhere. Well, I, I just go back to my, my own experience, uh, and I'm sure things have changed a bit, but you know, in Maryland, we had minimum requirements. You had to qualify by state law for the certification, and we we were qualified. We had multiple times at the range, multiple classroom instructions in the firearm, and, and then you qualified. And then once a year after that is the only time we had at the range. And our qualifying was standing stationary, firing at a stationary paper target. That's what we did. Right. Different positions, different distances, different times. That was it. There was really no tackle salute. In every shooting situation I've been involved in, and there's four over 10 years, and the first two, I never fired a shot back, and people don't understand this, but every time a gun is fired at a police officer, they don't always fire back. But the other two, they were nothing remotely close like being at the range. We're moving, I'm moving, they're moving, covers a scenario. There's all sorts of things that go into this, and yet I got zero training in that aspect well to be honest with you you know i think it was my you know i had 10 years on the on the job there was a bank robbery that occurred and there were four bank robbers and went into the uh, bank and robbed it they when they fled the bank uh two of our patrol officers picked up they were in a van um did an excellent job of i'm telling you amazing job of following this vehicle but eventually a shootout became car to car course when something like that happens you know everybody responds in and my, my partner and I, I responded in and I remember um, eventually the car came off a side street and I came in behind it and you know shots were being fired and came to an intersection and well the, the, the van we we're uh, pursuing jumped into an opposite lane and was going to make a left I don't well I can't say I, I'm assuming he's going to make a left turn uh, but which they did, which was a blind corner, which I thought this is where it's going to end because they can't see oncoming traffic. But they made the turn. To be honest with you, I, I was so focused on them. I didn't see the car in front of me. They stopped the red light, and I slammed the rear of a, a person's car, pushed them out of an intersection to continue the pursuit. Uh, we got up about three or four more blocks in this vehicle, uh, ended up um, hitting another vehicle in an intersection, driving it up onto this um, kind of like a sidewalk, but there was a six-foot wall. And I just remember exiting the vehicle. I remember shots being fired. I remember four, the four suspects were going over the six-foot wall into an upper parking lot. I think it was the uh, fourth suspect that I ended up shooting along with other officers. And the other three got in the parking lot. Well, to be honest with you, John, you know, I didn't hear anything after that. It was totally, I, I didn't hear anything. And I was taking this guy into custody uh, by myself. And I was wondering myself, where was everybody else at? 
But what I didn't know in the upper park lot, there was a massive gun battle above me. I never heard one shot being fired. Yeah, crazy. Uh, one shot. There. And, and, and a normal person, a civilian, going, that's impossible. Someone's lying. No. I, I had the whole auditory exclusion, too, where I just didn't hear yep. stuff. You're so focused yep. on that event. But getting back to this, you know, I was a patrol sergeant in, in the last two shootings. And it was... We weren't trained to do that. The only people who got training like that sort of stuff were our SWAT team. Right. I'll be, I'm embarrassed to say that when I went from patrolman to working narcotics, the amount of training we had to do raids or room entries amounted to, hey, run in there. You, we'll, we'll, we'll pre-raid assess this. This is your responsibility. You handle the, the mall, the, the knock the door down. Everybody make a lot of noise and run in. That's what we did. And you had that like five minutes of training. And the reason why is because the department and the city didn't allocate that kind of money for that kind of training for people like me. That's correct. And and uh, I found myself very fortunate later on in my career, and I, and I say this with all honesty, when I was on the SWAT team, I got selected to go to a uh, SWAT school that was three weeks long. It was, when, it was after 9-11. It was when the... Um, Advanced SWAT schools and the typing systems were all coming out. And I actually went through the first advanced SWAT school of the Government Training Institute, the company I work for now. And some of the instructors that I uh, was exposed to were law enforcement instructors with a lot of experience, but I was also exposed to several military special operation guys um, that were instructors also. And, John, they they were amazing what they taught me. They, They truly were we spent a lot of time on the range. We spent a lot of time behind the gun. We spent a lot of time doing tactics. We spent a lot of time doing everything. And what I learned from these guys from the military, and again, these are guys that came out of, you know, after 9-11, um, was about discipline, you know, spending time on my gun, spending time on the range. So when I went to, you know, uh, we shot once every quarter. So what I did, uh, I used to go down once a week, once every other week, shoot on the range myself and, I'd shoot distances 5, 10 yards, 15 yards, but I started working on my proficiency, and just like anything else uh, has it in 2006, you know, I came in in another deadly force scenario. A guy had a butcher knife and stabbed his girlfriend multiple times, and but it was different for me this time. I knew where I was at. I knew what was going on. I When I shot my weapon, I had... uh, I had front sight picture. Um, I was total uh, distance of 8 feet away from him. I knew where other officers were. I knew my shots were where they were impacting. It was more confident because I spent the time on my own, of course, going to the range. On your own dime, as they say. We're going to take a short break. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Special guest, Dennis O'Connor. is a repeat guest. Dennis is a retired Wilmington, Delaware police sergeant. Also, a law enforcement liaison for Government Training Institute, gtitraining.org. That's gtitraining.org. One of the things that maybe from having worked in police work before and having some experience and knowing what training officers get, at least back in the day, 
not totally aware of what they get nowadays. And every department's different. Every agency's different. Different divisions in the same agency are different. But most agencies, it's about economics. And they don't have the money to train people at every level to be proficient. So I don't know if it's the same way at small departments. They, one officer needs to be like certified to do everything. But in large agencies where I came from, that wasn't always the case. So when I see news reports about a young patrol officer, when I say young, it could be it's, everybody's young compared to me nowadays. But <laughs> th- they do something, they go in, they take out an armed bad guy, and they do it with uh, either just shooting the bad guy or no shots fired. And I realize that they did a uh, an aggressive room entry by themselves, and I realize. They probably had no training for that. And right. when you realize what they really did to protect the innocents, like you said, people need to understand the amount of heroism for someone to do that that's well-trained and well-equipped is 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 unimaginable. But to take someone who has just typical soft body armor and a sidearm, and it's a patrol person doing that, man, you're talking about some real superhero stuff because they're really putting it out there. Well, you know, I always, you know, every class I ever taught, uh, whether it be a SWAT class or an active shooter class, the, the strongest link in, in the chain of law enforcement is the first responder. That the average officer is out there every day uh, doing stuff. You know, I, you know, I've, I've trained a lot of SWAT teams since I've been with the Government Training Institute, and you know, it's a team concept. Um, they they go in as a team, they respond to a team, they make room entries uh, together. They take their, sometimes they're, you know, depending on the tactic, they take their time clearing the doorway. They have suitable body armor. You know, they have plates in their body armor. They have helmets. They have flashbangs. They've got, you know, uh, beanbag shotguns. They've got everything under under the sun. So when they're sent into a, in a, a situation where it's a dangerous situation requiring a SWAT team to make a, a tactical entry, they're well prepared for this. But... These same agencies are then turning around to your police officers that work the street. And, you know, I'll use active shooter, for example. They're turning around to these officers and they're saying, okay, uh, you have your gun, you have your gun belt, you have soft body armor that can stain maybe, you know, uh, I guess at the most maybe some rifle rounds. Um, you have no ballistic helmets. Uh, you don't have anything. But you know what, there, boss, I'm requiring you to go in that door in an active shooter by yourself and do all this work, all right, to eliminate the threat inside. And I'm sorry that you don't have anybody else with you, but that's what I need you to do. And that's exactly and the scenario right. they're in. And and that's, and that's you're right. That's heroism. That that's that definitely is. That's their job, and they're going to do it well. And, and by the way, if you go in and do that, and and you survive, we're going to second guess everything you do. And you may wind up being sued. You may wind up being incarcerated. But the old saying we had was, and I know this is true for you as well, I'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by six. And, and, and that's true. You, you know, you're going to do what you're supposed to do. And I always, always said this, and, you know, my father was a retired policeman, you know, uh, powers in the pen. You're going to have to articulate everything that's you right. do when you're done. It's to justify why you did what you did. Don't lie. Justify. Right. Right. There was none of this nonsense we always saw on television. You know, I had to beat the guy up, and he fell down the stairs. There was none of that. You had to put your hand on someone. You wrote it, and you explained why you did. 
right. and it still didn't mean you're free and clear, but that's what you had to do, and that was the right thing to do. I'm I'm always amazed by these young men and women that go out there, and it's so easy nowadays, Dennis, to say, oh, they're millennials, they're snowflakes, whatever. These are some mentally and physically tough people, and they're doing heroic things. They may not seem like it when they're ordering their latte at the coffee shop. I'm not going to name which one because I'm not allowed to go there. My wife will let me go there because I always create a scene. But they may not seem like it. But there's and these men and women, they are military, so they're a lot tougher than people give them credit for. So when they go in and they handle these situations as police officers, as patrolmen, and by the way, I loved working patrol. I loved it still to this day, and I will always have. They'll have my utmost respect. They do the seemingly impossible on a daily basis, and out of 99.9% of the interactions with civilians across the United States, there's no complaints, there's no use of force, there's no nothing. No, it, it, there, there's not. You know, it, Every time something like this occurs, you know, when a police officer is brought to the front for whatever reason it may be, you know, uh, I, I would hope most people out there would realize that the majority of police officers aren't aren't like that. They're very professional in what they do. One of the you know the biggest things you know when when it comes to law enforcement, especially police agencies, you know uh, I hate to say this that they're they're you know you go through what a 16 week academy. Sometimes they're shorter, sometimes they're longer, and things like that. Uh, you're given the bare basics. You know everything is on the job learning when you get out there. You know hopefully you got a good field training officer. It's teaching you the right way to how to do things and things and stuff like that. Training in itself, agencies need to have in their human resources division or their training divisions, whoever is responsible for training, should be constantly seeking out training for their officers to, you know, give them the edge to educate them better, to have them do better things within agencies itself. You know, we we're talking about the firearms programs and stuff like that. It needs to be robust. And they need to be all you know on the behind that gun all the time on the range. They need to be shooting stationary. They need to be shooting, moving. They need to be elevating that heart rate. And and I know people are going to say this is crazy, but we need to come up with some type of training where I'm allowed to shoot past somebody because I asked um, when I'm teaching range. If you have if you're on a range and you have officers lined up on a range and they're going to do a forward movement drill. One of those officers takes 10 steps in front of that line. You, everybody calls this call ceasefire. Because why? Because it's unsafe. What we're actually doing in this situation, it's a training score. What we're actually doing is we're teaching an officer that if anybody's in front of my gun, anybody's in front of my gun, I can't shoot. So if you take that and you go out on the street and you've done this time and time again, you've been on the range every quarter, you've been on the range so much time, when you go out on the street the first time, you have to pull that weapon and use it, and somebody's in front of your gun. You're going to hesitate because that's what you were taught. Anybody in front of your gun, you're not allowed to shoot. So we need to have a more robust training program. We have to have it more realistic. We need to work on the sympathetic nervous system on these officers. We need to elevate these heart rates. We need to make them stressful, and we need to make our qualifications so intense. We need to, you know, we that bowling pin uh, silhouette on the body. As long as you got all all your rounds in there, you are good to go. We need to reduce that from the sternum to the head. That's the only shot uh, acceptable shots on the human body. Because when you have a when you decide to use your weapon in law enforcement, your job is 
to eliminate a threat. And by what I mean by that is your, your job is to kill somebody. Yeah. And, and sometimes it comes down to that. I was very fortunate. I thank God that everyone survived the, the instance I was involved in, myself included. Doesn't mean I'm not scarred up. I've had multiple surgeries and and then that's that's not even counting the the mental emotional stuff which you and i've talked about before and i'm sure we'll talk about again before we close dennis one of the things that i need to get through to people i think we really need to get through to a law enforcement officers is if your department can't afford to send you for training try to find on your dime to get some somewhere from some good people uh, I know you right. offer a phenomenal training. Where can people get more information about what you do and what you offer? Well, it, at the Government Training Institute, uh, besides our law enforcement programs, we have another site called Legion. We have uh, military veterans that are firearms instructors there. We have law enforcement instructors on Legion. I encourage uh, anybody, you know, look at our company or look at other companies, but, you know, our company, we have some of the greatest instructors to, to be on the range with. But I do recommend anybody, you know, spend time on your gun, go to your local pistol range and shoot. Do anything you can to become more proficient in what you do because the day that you need this gun, you get one shot at it. You know, once you pull it and you fire the trigger, it's it, you, there's no going back. And there's lives um, on the line. could be yours. could be someone else's. Uh, thanks, Dennis. Very much appreciated and hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you, sir. For great news articles, past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today Show podcast, download our free app, and much more, go to our website, letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. On behalf of everyone associated with the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show and website, this is John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya. See ya.